Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Thank you, Romeo. Thank you, worship team. What an amazing atmosphere that's, uh, that's been set today. And uh, I'm grateful for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit today. And I believe that he's not done uh, with our lives. And, and uh, he's not done in this moment that he wants to speak to us in a powerful uh, way. I just got to say this. For you young ladies that got baptized today, that's amazing. Congratulations. We celebrate you today. I love hearing Pastor Madison talk about your friendship of iron sharpening iron and how each of you are encouraging each other towards more of Jesus in your life and reflecting uh, the glory that he wants uh, for you. And it's a model for all of us as followers of Jesus in this room to surround ourselves with people that are going to encourage us along in our race of faith. Uh, Pastor Madison is doing a phenomenal job with the youth ministry. If you have teenagers who aren't a part of it, I would encourage you uh, to encourage them to come. And I would also encourage you to force them to come because uh, it's really amazing. And I believe that if they'll come, that God uh, will get a hold of their lives and touch them. It's been quite remarkable to see the fruit of, uh, of what's taken place there. Last week, we kicked off a new sermon series on Lent. And if you've missed any of the previous messages, I would encourage you to listen online at crosspointwaverly.com. Find us on YouTube or Spotify or Facebook and watch or listen along there. As I prayed about what to preach about leading up to Resurrection Sunday, which just so you know is five weeks away, uh, this year is flying by already, and Easter will be here before we know it. But I felt like the Holy Spirit directed me this year to focus on the season of Lent to prepare our hearts for a familiar yet supernatural moment. A familiar yet supernatural moment. Lent is a season of 40 days before Easter where Christians from all sorts of faith traditions fast and pray and refocus their lives on God. And as with anything, for some people this can be a formality, for others they might just go through the motions, but what if we really took this season to refocus our lives on God? It's a season that involves lament and repentance and anticipation. During Lent, we pour out our grief and sin, our pain and regret, holding nothing back. And in response, God too holds nothing back, pouring himself out for our redemption. Last week, we talked about lamenting personal sin. And the big idea is we've all missed the mark, we've all sinned, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're grateful for God's grace and for his mercy. There was an encouragement last week to allow the Holy Spirit uh, to search our hearts to see if there be any wicked way in us and to try our thoughts and our actions. And there was an effort, and still even today, to say, Holy Spirit, search my heart. Whatever's in there that doesn't belong there, reveal it to me so I can remove it uh, from my life and I can ask for forgiveness and repent of it and turn from it. This week, I want us to go beyond just lamenting our sin. Lent is a season where we lament a fallen world and the church's own sin. How many of you have ever had your best made plans not go as you wanted? Okay, a few of you. You understand uh, what this is about. So I'll tell you, last night I had these great plans. Saturday nights for me are an early to bed type night. It's a discipline that I have in my life. Sundays are a big day. And so last night, 
everything's working to plan. I fall asleep, I have these sleep buds in that cancel out all noise around me, and I am in a deep slumber when all of a sudden my wife begins to stroke my arm like this. And I'm like, that's really sweet of you, honey, but I'm sleeping. Thank you. Thank you for waking me up. And so I open my eyes, I look at her, and, and then I close my eyes again. And so she strokes my arm again. I'm like, what are you doing? So I pull out my earbuds, and she said, your daughter's flight from Charlotte to Florida just got canceled. My poor baby, all alone in the Charlotte airport at 11 o'clock at night with nowhere to go. And no one with her. Some of you are like, you're horrible parents. Why did you let your daughter fly by herself anyway? Because we're horrible parents. Uh, And so I look at my wife and I'm like, well, just tell her she's going to have to sleep in the airport and get on the next flight in the morning. I'm going back to sleep. How many know I wasn't going back to sleep? It was not going to happen. I'm researching, trying to find the next flight. Thankfully, by the grace of God, she was able to get a flight this morning, and she's now in Florida and safe and sound with the people that she's supposed to be with. Thank you, Jesus. But her best laid plans did not go as intended. My best laid plans did not go as intended. And I just want you to know that as you look at the world today, God had his best laid plans laid out. In Genesis chapter 1, when he spoke the earth into creation, and all of the elements, in verse number 31, he says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. That's how it all started. It was very good. God spoke it into existence. In Genesis chapter 3, though, we see sin enter into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And the repercussions of that one moment has had devastating effects for all of us. The good world that God created still has plenty of great elements, amen? The good world that God created still has some great elements. Yet there's also this dark vein that runs through because of sin. And so people ask the question, what in the world is wrong with the world? We see poverty and war, abortion, racism, human trafficking, sexual immorality, disease, drug and alcohol abuse, opioid addiction, and the list could go on and on. And we can think of countless ways that the world is fallen and broken in need of Christ. And Lynn is not just about personal lament over sin and brokenness, but we also lament the sin and brokenness in the world and even in the church itself. The Bible knows there's something wrong with the world. Sin has brought famine and injustice, disease, war, evil, and all the tragedies of life. And the prophet Habakkuk laments the injustice and violence he sees as the nations judge God's people. And as followers of Jesus, we are not exempt from the effects of sin in the world. The just and the unjust experience famine and injustice, disease, war, evil, and all the tragedies of life. And some believers think that God should give them preferential treatment because they're followers of him. And when he doesn't, it comes as a surprise and leaves people disillusioned. This is the experience for Habakkuk. He's a prophet. And his book starts drastically different than, uh, than the others. And it starts with Habakkuk questioning God. I'm going to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 1 this morning. It's also going to appear on the screen In the Message Bible, not the Message Bible, in the Bible app, there was an introduction to this chapter uh, and this book on the Message Bible. And here's what it said. 
that Habakkuk gives voice to our bewilderment. He articulates our puzzled attempts to make sense of things and faces God with our disappointment with God. Another commentary said Habakkuk's message burdened the prophet and it burdened the righteous in Judah. How could righteous Josiah die at the hands of a pagan king? How could Jehoiakim ever reign in the place of Josiah on the throne of Judah? Habakkuk, burdened with the apparent success of the wicked, sought to unload his burden on the Lord. And through Habakkuk's question, God spoke an eventual message of hope and deliverance to the people of Judah. And so here's what Habakkuk chapter 1, verse number 1 says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how, shall I, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And here's the Lord's response, the beginning of it, in verse number five. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am a doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand what you would have for us? And would you break down the walls that have been built up today? And God, will we just receive all that you have in Jesus' name, amen. The prophet realized that God was going to use the military of the godless Babylon to bring God's judgment to God's people. He was going to use a godless nation's military to bring judgment to his people. And to Habakkuk, this didn't make sense. Habakkuk was lamenting the evils found within his community of faith. And I wonder in this Lent season, what if it isn't just the brokenness of a sinful world that we're supposed to lament over, but also the wrongs that the church itself and the faith community itself has participated in? It's easy for Christians to view ourselves as being above it all and looking down on an evil world, but the church has been part of the tragedy in the world. Throughout history, we've dehumanized others. Beyond the extremes of genocide and war, the church has been guilty of other sins. Silence towards the poor and downtrodden, racism, failing to deal with sexual abuse in our midst, church scandals involving leadership, and engaging in culture wars at the expense of our witness. And as followers of Jesus, this should cause us to grieve and to lament. The history of the capital C church is riddled with atrocities. Yet even knowing all of these imperfections, I'm not ready to give up on the church. Even knowing all of the imperfections of the history and the present today, I'm not ready to give up on the church. I still believe that the Holy Spirit working through the local church is the hope of the world. And if we stand any chance of fulfilling the mission that God has given to us, then we've got to be about making the church all that God wants it to be. So let's commit to diving in and let's make the church better. Let's be the solution. Let's continue to build a healthy expression of the kingdom of God right here in Waverly and pray that the influence would spread throughout our state and nation and the world. And so let's think about what it means when we think about Cross Point Church. For some people, when they hear Cross Point Church, they think of a building smack dab in the middle of town. And I'll just tell you that our building is not our identity as a church. It's simply the place where we meet. When we talk about the institution of the church, Cross Point Church, in the simplest of terms, 
is a collection of diverse and unique individuals who gather together and collectively represent or make up Cross Point Church. In that collection of diverse and unique individuals who represent Cross Point Church are some seasoned saints, some people who have been following Jesus for a really long time and are very uh, close in their relationship with him. These are people who have a long-standing relationship with him. And at the opposite extreme, are people who attend on Sunday mornings who have not yet made the decision to follow Jesus. And I just want to say that I'm grateful for both extremes and for everybody in between. I'm grateful that all of us are on a journey, and as we walk out our race of faith, that God continues to refine us and make us into who he wants us to be. And so for those of you who are seasoned saints, I thank God for you. For those of you who are close to it and wherever you are, and for those of you who are even seekers today, maybe you don't even know why you're here today. I hope that by the end of this message today that you'll become a follower of Jesus. But even if you don't, I'm glad that you're here, and I believe and we're praying that one day that you'll experience God's love. No matter where you're at in your individual journey with God, we have not and will not attain perfection this side of heaven. So whether you're a seasoned saint or newly saved, perfection is not something that we can attain. It's something that only Jesus could attain. And so watch this. As a church, we are a collection of unique, diverse, imperfect people who are called Cross Point Church. All of us are included in that. And what I've talked about is just locally. In addition to that, we're part of the global church. We're part of a body of believers that can be found in almost every nation and culture around the world, and that should be awe-inspiring. The church is bigger than what's just happening right here in Waverly, and it's bigger than what's happening in Iowa and in America, and I'm grateful. There's also no quality control on the term church or Christian. There are some so-called churches that are an absolute embarrassment to God, and they should not carry that title. The same token, there are so-called Christians who do atrocious things. And so imperfect people make up the church. And because imperfect people make up the church, church hurt is going to happen. This morning, this message isn't in reaction to anything that I know about in our church. But I'm aware that in a room filled with this many people and those who are watching online, that at some point in our life, many of us have experienced church hurt. And I just wanna say to those of you who, ex who have experienced it, I'm sorry, legitimately. And secondly, I wanna say that if any of church hurt has been caused by me, I'm very, very sorry. And again, we look at this and we recognize that the church is made up of a collection of unique, diverse, imperfect people. And so we all bear the weight and the responsibility of creating a healthy expression of the kingdom of God and doing our part to the best of our ability to live at peace with one another and not cause church hurt. This morning, I would encourage us to own what we've done, to own what we've done that's caused hurt. Let's not hide behind pride and arrogance. Let's not minimize it. Let's own it and apologize and ask for forgiveness and try to not repeat it. This past Wednesday night, I was ugly to my wife. That's Southern for uh, unkind to my wife. I grew up in Memphis, and so that's just like a, a term that we use, ugly. My, wife, my mom will go, son, you're being ugly. I'm like, you made me that way. 
I said a few things to her that I thought were cute, and she didn't take them that way. One of the things I said to her, and for those of you who are over 40 in the room today, you'll get this. For the rest of you, I'll have to explain it after the joke, which is just humiliating to have to explain the joke after the fact. So my father-in-law had called my wife. My wife had not called my father-in-law back. And I said to her, have you called your dad back? And she said, no. And I said, what are you doing? Wait until 9 o'clock when it's free? <laughs> yeah, see, see, back in my days, kids, <laughs> the only time you could use a cell phone is if it was an emergency or if it was after 9 o'clock. I don't even know why somebody, who knows. But after 9 o'clock, it was free until a certain time in the morning that none of us would have. Anyway, so, uh, so here's the deal. I immediately, so I recognized, I saw that I hurt my wife's feelings in a series of statements that I made that were ugly. And, uh, and so I immediately apologized. And I'll just tell you that, like, that was turning over a new leaf for me. Because the old me would have stubbornly not apologized. And then I would have gone a couple of weeks without talking because I said something dumb. And I'll just tell you that my pride wants to make it about her. She was just being too sensitive. Maybe she was. Ooh. Y'all got to hear the second part. But I could have said it in a nicer way. And I didn't. And I own that. I own it. It's on me. So rather than dig in in my stupid pride, I swallowed it for the sake of relationship, apologized, and peace was restored in my house. Praise Jesus. And it's a word for some of y'all today, right? To swallow your stubborn pride, to apologize, to ask for forgiveness, and let peace be restored to your house. When I first moved to Waverly one month from now, it will be eight years ago. I exercised the spiritual gift of sarcasm frequently. It was a strong gifting, and it still is. But I keep it hidden under a bushel. I don't let that light shine, except for sometimes. So early on in our church history, when I was leading our staff, I would lead with sarcasm, and I thought it was hilarious. Really did. And one day I sat with a fellow pastor and I shared some funny things uh, with him that I had said. And straight faced, this pastor looks at me and he says, you're a jerk. I said, excuse me? Like that was funny what I said. Some of you are like, well, you said that your wife wasn't funny either. And then what you said this morning about maybe she was being too sensitive. You know, <laughs> like that's, yes. Sorry, baby, I love you. Oh, she's back there. Hey. I think KU won yesterday. Life is good. Uh, <laughs> this pastor called me out on it, and I repented. No joke, I called the staff in to my office, and I apologized to them for the way that I had been leading them and how it had not served to build unity on the team. And I made a commitment to them to lead differently. And I also gave them permission to call me out on it in the future. In addition, I shared this with the church and I made a strong effort to be better. And a number of years ago, I had a man come into my office and tell me that he was leaving the church. 
And uh, in the conversation, he talked about uh, his issues with anger. And in his parting shots across the bow moment, he said to me that I should really uh, get some accountability in my life for my sarcasm. And I'm just telling you, it hit me wrong because I had privately repented of it. I had publicly repented of it and invited people to be part of helping me be better in that and honestly felt like I had changed. And I wish that I could tell you that in that moment that I said to that man, thank you. But long before I was a pastor, I was an imperfect man and I'm still an imperfect man. And so shots were fired and I fired back and I'm not proud of it. I said to him, when you get to your new church, I would encourage you to ask your new pastor to help you with your anger issues. And some of you are like, the gift of sarcasm was still at work in you. And other you, others of you, you hear that and you're quick to defend me. Some of you hear it and you're like, good for you. That was a great response and what you said was true and what you said was really good advice, but here's the deal. I was hurt by a brother, and rather than take it and respond in grace, I made a decision to fire back and inflict hurt. And you're well aware of this, that as soon as you speak the words, they're out there. There's no magic rewind button in life that I can rewind all of that and suck it back in and said I had said it. And I'd played the conversation in my head over and over again with tremendous regret. I wish that there was a, that I could redo it. I, I wish that I would have responded differently. By the grace of God, again, this is something that happened so long ago. By the grace of God, I was able to run into this individual in the past year, and I walked up to him and I said, I've replayed our last conversation that we had years ago in my head multiple times. And I'm sorry for how I handled it. And I asked for forgiveness. And the man said he forgave me, and I appreciate that. Number one, I, I wish that I wouldn't have done it to begin with, and secondly, I wish that I would have apologized years earlier. And I just wonder how much better the church and the world would be if we would lament not only our individual involvement in church hurt, but would lament the hurt the Capital C Church has caused, and that we would be quick to apologize and to ask for forgiveness. Getting hurt sucks. There's no other way around it. It just does. And we're all going to experience it. And I just ask that we would be people who would extend grace and forgiveness. And remember, like I'm sharing this story not out of pride this morning. I'm sharing this story out of embarrassment. And I'm telling you that even as a pastor, I missed the mark. And earlier I talked about who makes up the church. We do. Pastors, seasoned saints, new converts, and unbelievers. And when we lash out, it's not that that individual hurt me, it's that the church hurt me. Do you see what I'm saying? And so all of us have a responsibility to, to ask God to help us be part of the solution and to not continue the cycle. And if we, uh, if, if we don't reach out to God for help in this, then we'll continue the cycle because hurt people hurt people. My wife is working on a new book on prayer, and she made a post this week on Facebook about Psalm chapter 17. 
There are a couple of verses that I'll read for us this morning. Verse number one and two says, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. And she summed up Psalm chapter 17. Again, I, I mean, not again, but I would encourage you to read this in your own time, the full uh, chapter of it. But she said these four statements about Psalm 17. David is once again experiencing injustice, attack, and threats. He asks God to vindicate and protect him and acknowledges that, he, that that is the best way. He purposes in his heart that he will leave it in God's hands and finally following God's instructions has kept him from violence and in right standing with God. And she typed up this prayer that says, God, when I experience injustice, help me to rely on you and your vindication instead of trying to defend myself. Keep me on the path of righteousness so that I can see your face. Don't let me become consumed with revenge or bitterness. Instead, display the wonders of your faithful love and captivate and satisfy me with your presence. I place my faith and trust in you to do what is right. What a response. We live in a sinful world. And the effects of sin are seen in the church and the world, but evil will not prevail. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The world is in chaos right now. Faith communities have missed the mark, not unlike the days that Habakkuk wrote about. And in the backdrop of an imperfect faith community and an imperfect world around him, Habakkuk asked the Lord, how long shall I cry to you and you not hear? He essentially accuses the Lord of not listening. And I don't need you to raise your hands this morning, but how many of you have accused the Lord of the same thing? In verse number three, he says, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. In verse number two, Habakkuk accuses the Lord of not listening. And in verse number three, accuses the Lord of not seeing. And his assumption is that while he is surrounded by destruction and violence and while strife and contention arise, that God is sitting idly by. And in essence, he says, God, I don't think you know how to do this God business. How often have we found ourselves in the same trap, assuming the worst about God and believing that somehow we know better than him? God's instructions have been violated, and Habakkuk complained to God that the prophet dwelt in the midst of a people without moral restraints or abiding values. Does God have anything to say when society appears to be disintegrating? Is there a message from God for a wicked age? These became the questions of Habakkuk. Where is God, and why is he not doing something? Where is God, and why is he not doing something? The righteous in every age ask similar questions. And Habakkuk has several things to teach us if our hearts are asking the same questions. One of the helpful lessons to be learned from Habakkuk is that God does know what's happening. He's not oblivious to the wickedness in high places. And in his time and in his way, the Lord brings judgment on those who oppose the weak. One of the things that we see with Habakkuk is that he took his complaint directly to God. He took his complaint directly to God. He took his complaining questions to God. And then when he did, he did something else that's vitally important. He waited and he listened for God's response. He waited and he listened for God's response. What a model for us. God can handle our questions. But I would encourage all of us that if we're going to ask him those questions, that we would pause and we would listen 
to his response. When Habakkuk paused to listen, he quickly realized that it was not he who was the ruler of the universe, but instead God. And we can trust God even when things don't make sense. So he started out where we start out with our puzzling complaints and God accusations, but he didn't stay there. Instead, he ended up in a world along with us where every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Habakkuk paused and listened, and the beginning of God's response is found in verse number five. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God's response to Habakkuk was look among the nations. Look beyond yourself and see. Truly open up your eyes and see. Remember, Habakkuk's accusation to God was that he wasn't seeing what was happening. And God is saying to Habakkuk, no, it's actually you who's not seeing what's happening. God tells him to open up his eyes to wonder and be astounded. And then he continues in the Jonathan Bartholomew paraphrase that says, while you were being God, judging my ability to be God, I have been, been, been busy doing such a work that even if I told you, you would not have believed it. Can I tell you this morning, in our imperfect world and in his imperfect church, God is still at work. In our imperfect world and in our imperfect church, God is still at work. In our imperfect world and in our imperfect church, God is still at work. Listen, the reason why I'm telling you is because some of you have experienced hurt. Some of you are experiencing things in your life right now, and you're wondering, does God listen? Does he even see? Does he even care about you? And I just want to tell you today that in the midst of the chaos of the world and the hurt that you're experiencing, God does see, he does listen, and he's at work in your life. As we approach Resurrection Sunday, let's prepare our hearts. Let's lament our personal sin and let's lament the sin of our nation and the church. Let's express deep sorrow over sin and ask God to bring healing. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We'll experience this when we humble ourselves, when we pray and when we seek God's face and turn from sin. Then God says, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive your sin and heal your land. March 30th, 1863, Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national day of prayer and fasting. And he says, we have forgotten God. This is 1863. He says, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us and have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. I wonder how he would write those words even today. Habakkuk uses four words to describe Judah's social situation. He uses the word violence, sin, misery, and destruction, and he was surrounded by these things. And in Habakkuk's eyes, Judah was spiritually bankrupt and morally 
corrupt, and it doesn't sound much different than our nation and our world today. And I believe that if we voiced the same words to God that Habakkuk did in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that God's response to us would still be the same. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. This Lent season, let us lament our personal sin, our national sin, and the sin of the church. Let us humble ourselves and repent and see God bring healing to our lives and to our world. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior, and you say today, I want to become a follower of him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God. You've turned your back on him. And today you say, I want to see my relationship restored back to my maker. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room. One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. One, two, three, four, five. You can put them down. Are there others this morning? Six, you can put them down. Are there others this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand all across this room. There were at least six hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. Thank you, God. If you raise your hand today or you prayed that prayer online, I would ask that you would text the word yes to 319 Text the word yes to 319-250-8998. The second thing that I would encourage you to do is if you prayed that prayer today, let's take the next step. Let's go public with it. Let's get water baptized. Find me after service or go online to crosspointwaverly.com. Look at the staff page. Find any of us and let us know when you want to get baptized and we'll make that happen. Listen, I know that today's message was heavy. And I know that there are some in this room that have experienced hurt much greater than the, just the words that have been spoken. In just a moment, the prayer team's gonna make their way to the front, the worship team's gonna lead us in a song, and we leave time at the end of every service for anybody to experience prayer. But in this next song, here's what I want all of us to do, is last week we said, God, search our heart. Try my actions and try my thoughts and see if there are any impure ways within me. Today, in addition to that prayer, I want us to pray. God, what is our part?
that we can lament over in our nation and in our world and with the church. And let's be people who are quick to own our mistakes, not to defend or justify. Let's be people who are quick to ask for forgiveness from God and for others. And I pray that today, that for those of you who have experienced hurt with the church, that today that God would bring healing to your heart. That you wouldn't give up on his church, but that you would recognize that God's still at work in an imperfect world and in an imperfect church filled with imperfect people. And so let's pray today and say, God, what, what's my part in it? What can, where can I ask for forgiveness? Where can reconciliation and restoration and peace be restored? And I'm going to pray that God would give all of us the courage to do the right thing in that. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit and how even now you're speaking to the hearts of people listening online and here in this room. Habakkuk lamented over the spiritual condition of his nation. And he cried out to you, God, asking if you even see, if you hear, if you hear or even if you care about the situation. And we're grateful for your response to him, which is the same to all who would ask the question today, that you do hear, that you do see, that we're to look at the nations with wonder and with awe, that you are doing a great work. And so God, I pray for those in the midst of trials and suffering, for those in the midst of chaos, who are asking the question this morning, may those words ring out today that you're at work and that we can trust you. God, this morning I pray that you would give us the courage for those that we've offended to ask for forgiveness and that you would help us to be people who extend grace and mercy. Lord, this morning we really do ask that you would help our church to continue to be a healthy expression of the kingdom of God. That this would be a bright, shining beacon of hope and light to our community and to our world. That this would be a place where people could experience peace and freedom. So Lord, give us wisdom. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.